Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we have a good, long, in-depth chat with Dylan Pugh from North East Forest Alliance in northern New South Wales about a bunch of things, including their upcoming court case against the federal government for regional forest agreement breaches, and also how Australia's worst ever polluting coal power station, the notorious and previously decommissioned Red Bank power station at Singleton, is back in business hacking and burning native forests for biomass. Stay tuned. My name is Dylan Pugh. I'm a spokesperson and president of the Northeast Forest Alliance in northern New South Wales. I originally come from Victoria. I moved to the north coast of New South Wales in the late 70s. About 78, I was living at Trainee Creek. Ended up being arrested there in 1979. And that was the beginning of my activism. At that time, I was focused on rainforests. They're just such magnificent, vibrant ecosystems. I just love them. I wanted to do what I could to save them. One thing at Trainee Creek I learned is that we can win. And if a group of dedicated people and a relatively small group put the effort in, we can achieve great things together. Particularly, we can save patches of beautiful forests. I've devoted most of my life since then to trying to protect forests. I got interested in old-growth forests. In the early 80s, once I learned how important those big old trees are for our animals, you know, so many animals depend upon the hollows in those trees, but also the nectar they provide and the uh, other attributes they provide. They're keystones of our forests and uh, essential to the survival of so many species. So I then sort of started campaigning for old growth forests. I was the co-founder of the Northeast Forest Alliance in 1989 and most of my life since then has been dedicated to forests or other times other conservation issues. I'm just a volunteer and I do what I can and I know that if enough people stand up and do something we can make a difference. What motivates you to keep going? Oh look I think it's the wind really you know look it can be a long hard slog and can be very frustrating at times and very devastating when you lose some forests but you know one thing I've found is over the years we've had countless blockades to protect forests we've taken to court when we've had an opportunity you know really you put the effort in you can protect some areas and you can make some wins and uh, you can make a difference and uh, so it's those wins I think that carry you through I mean we want to stop the logging of public native forests as soon as we can and we need to now even more so than ever before because of the looming or the existing threat of climate change. If we don't turn this around this decade, we're in big trouble and we can do it. You know, that's the lesson. We can do it if people stand up and take part and that's, that's what we need and that's the way we achieve change. Can you just describe the geographical scope of the area that the Northeast Forest Alliance is generally concerned with protecting? Um, so basically, you know, from north of Sydney to the Queensland border, particularly from the Hunter Valley north of the Queensland border and west on to the edge of the New England Tableland. 
We're a, um, a voluntary conservation group. And it depends where those volunteers are situated at the time, what the focus is. So often a local group will get concerned about a forest issue near them. And so basically the idea is that we all pitch in and help. And through that mutual support, we've achieved our victories through just really helping each other where we can. And do you find that that is a really effective way of organising, like on an as-needs mutual aid basis? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, we're now over 30 years old as a, as a group. It's worked for us, but it depends upon that volunteer effort. And, and that can be taxing and interest can wane at times, particularly once a, you know, a group of people achieve their aim, it might be to protect their local forest, and often they will uh, drop out and we need to then sort of engage other energy to uh, keep it going. So it, it has its advantages and it has its disadvantages, but you know, I'm a great supporter of the idea of volunteer community energy and harnessing that in the best way possible. And how do you get new people involved? Do you act, sort of actively do it or when it comes up sort of thing with, with various campaigns or actions that are happening? We have tried to come a bit more organised in the last few years and we do have a supporter base and stuff like that. But generally speaking on issues, it's when local people become engaged in trying to achieve an outcome and that's where the energy comes from and that does move and vary over time and we just try to support other people where we can in relation to forest issues. And before we go on to some more specific campaigns you've got going on at the moment, just wonder if you can give listeners a bit of an overview of what is the scope of the actions that the Northeast Forest Alliance engages in, like you've mentioned protesting. Are there other actions that you do as well? Look, indeed, you've got to use every available avenue to you. So in the initial years, particularly after our formation, our main avenue was protests and we would just blockade forest after forest, you know, all, all non-violently, but, you know, quite direct action. We, we believed in, do, in achieving outcomes and the outcomes was first off to slow down the destruction of those forests, to stop it if we could, while we galvanised other actions. In the early years, we had legal processes open to us, so we'd often take them to court and usually win. So we'd have the blockade, then we'd um, initiate our court case and then we'd win and that forest would be put aside and we'd move on to the next issue. But associated with that, you've got to lobby the government all the time, you've got to um, write submissions to every inquiry that's available to you, you've got to write to the ministers. I think most importantly, we try to maintain a high media presence locally, um, not nationally, but locally we try to make sure that we're getting uh, our side of the arguments across as much as possible to inform the community. Because I believe it's the informed community that makes a difference. So we've got to bring the broad community along with us if we want to win a lot of these battles. I generally think trying to get it to the public's attention is the most important thing. By whichever means, non-violent means, I'll emphasise that's what we do. So we do media releases all the time on issues. And now you're back in court again in March this year with the support of the Environmental Defenders Office. Can you tell us a bit about this upcoming case? So we've been trying to get the case up for quite some time, challenging the regional forest agreements. So the regional forest agreements were entered in across Australia or across the, the forest areas of Australia back in the uh, late 90s. I think North East New South Wales was the year 2000 when we finally had a regional forest agreement. 
But the assessments were done in northeast New South Wales in 1996 and 97. Most of the data was collected. So it's a long time ago that the information was obtained. They call it the Comprehensive Regional Assessment. And that, that was done in all states in various timeframes and various degrees of adequacy. But that information collected in those Comprehensive Regional Assessments was used to inform the regional forest agreements. So the regional forest agreements, in our experience, were basically a political process where deals were done behind closed doors. While we were involved in the assessment process, we were excluded from the final decisions, in effect. And they set in place a management of forest, in our case, North East New South Wales forests. It was meant to be for 20 years. We argued it should just be 10 years. And then that 20 years expired. And in 2018, they extended the regional forest agreements basically indefinitely. So based upon this work done in, 19, in the 1990s uh, of various adequacy, but very a long time ago, they extended these regional forest agreements in effect indefinitely. So they call it evergreening, where they can roll them over every five years for another five years. So instead of having these 10 or 20-year agreements, they now go on forever, all based upon that same information with minimal variation. So what we're doing is we're challenging that rollover of the North East New South Wales Regional Forest Agreement, claiming uh, our argument is that it's not a regional forest agreement because it hasn't adequately considered old-growth forests because they've done no attempt to keep track of where the old-growth forest is since, those, since the 1990s. In other words, a lot of it's been logged since or other things have happened and they haven't bothered to track it. So that's one of the key requirements of the Regional Forest Agreement. The other is threatened species. We know a lot more about threatened species and with global warming, the threat to them is increasing dramatically and yet they haven't bothered to update that. And the other one is climate change itself. So back in the late 90s, even though there was information about climate change, they refused to consider it in their assessment process in any meaningful way. And uh, here we are all these years down the track, we know a lot more about climate change and it is already having a major impact and yet they're still ignoring it in their uh, role over the regional forest agreement. So, so we're arguing because there hasn't been due consideration of those issues which are, are required for a regional forest agreement that the uh, a regional forest agreement itself is not valid. And so, of course, this is sort of following on the heels of the devastating uh, bushfires, which up in northeast New South Wales was sort of more 2019 and then, of course, it moved down into Victoria going into 2020. When did you get the idea to start working on this court case? Was it after that or were you sort of thinking about it before that as well? Oh, look, I've been working on it for years, really, trying to find an avenue. You know, as you're aware, there's been other challenges to regional forest agreements. Um, Bob Brown Foundation tried it and Victoria, they tried it as well. And, you know, Victoria, they had initial success, but, um, you know, they got overturned in the in the appeal and, uh, and in... Tasmania, they just, they just didn't get up at all. So, look, it's it's fraught. It's hard to challenge these processes. You know, they, it's a stitch-up, really, the way they've uh, worded legislation. But we hope we've found a way through it. It took a long time to find that way through. And we're hoping we will be successful, but there's no guarantees. And, look, really what the 2019-25s showed was the dire necessity of dealing with these issues and not just sweeping them under the carpet and the hope they'll go away. And, you know, the 2019-25s were embodiment of what's to come and what the effects of climate change are on our forests, where we're, they're getting drier, they're getting um, 
more fire-prone, fires are going to be more frequent. So the threats on our forests are increasing dramatically. The threats on our wildlife in those forests are increasing dramatically. And really, we've got to stop compounding those impacts by continuing to log them. We've just got to, just got to stop it. We need those forests for our carbon storage and sequestration. We need them to take the carbon out of the air that we're putting into it. Absolutely vital we do that. So we need the forest for that. But what's more worrying is that if we don't do something soon, those forest ecosystems themselves will start collapsing and no longer be able to remove the uh, carbon from the atmosphere that we so depend upon for our future. You've also had an online fundraiser for the campaign, which has been very successful, which finishes today, actually. But what I also want to ask you is what, more can people do to help between now and March? How can they support the campaign? So we go to court on March the 28th. It's only like a two-day hearing. But, uh, you know, I keep on coming down to what we need is people to stand up and speak out. And uh, be it any forest issue, we need to make our governments realise that people want change. There is momentum there to end the logging of public native forests and everything we can do to achieve that, we need to do. Uh, You know, writing letters to the paper, doing things on Facebook, uh, raising public awareness of the issues is what it comes down to, I think. Sometimes you just end up preaching to the converted, but we need to try to get out of that box and we need to get the message around as far as we can. It, It all contributes to achieving a goal, and the goal, I think, for all of us these days has to be ending logging of public native forests. What I was also want to give you a chance to do is maybe talk about any other campaigns and actions that you've got going on. Yeah, look, at, at the moment, the to me, the biggest issue is the proposal in uh, near Newcastle at Singleton to restart a closed coal-fired power station, that Red Bank. It was closed in um, 2014, I think. So it's an old coal-fired power station, one of the worst polluting in Australia at the time. And this um, company, Verdant Earth Technologies, wants to restart it burning native forests. So their intent is to burn in the order of a a, a million tonnes of native forest or wood material per annum to generate electricity. So we're intended to replace this old, dirty, polluting coal-fired power station which is closed, so it's no longer doing that, uh, with this new, even dirtier, more polluting wood-fired power station that's going to generate, you know, in the order of 2 million tonnes of greenhouse gases the atmosphere every year just for burning that timber. And they're going to devastate our forests because what they're calling it forest residues. What that means is going into the forest and taking trees they never would have taken before because they weren't economical and removing significantly increased volumes of, uh, of, of trees and timber from the forest and carting that all the way down there and burning it. And that, the impacts on the forest are just major. It's, a, it, it's, a, it's a scam, I reckon, to replace export wood chipping. So it's a, another way of uh, processing huge volumes of uh, our native forest, converting into wood chips, even though you get a low profit on each tonne of wood chips, you make a fortune when you're dealing with such massive amounts. And it's just going to devastate the forest within 300 kilometres of Singleton. So the whole of northeast uh, New South Wales forests are a grave threat 
of this increased logging intensity, increased soil disturbance, increased loss of habitat, increased degradation, sort of like a, a, a final blow. And what's more, they get carbon credits for doing it. It displaces genuine renewable energy like solar and wind. This is called renewable energy. And they claim it has no carbon emissions. Here they are pumping a couple million tonnes of extra uh, CO2 in the atmosphere every year in the burning process and probably two times that amount in obtaining it from the forest through all the residues left in the forest that rot and, and all the transport fuels and so on, and they're claiming it has no CO2 emissions whatsoever. I just, <laughs> beggars' belief. So there's currently a decision awaited in the local court. The uh, Singleton Council refused the company's claim that this was just a modification of the original approval. So they're just claiming it's, a, it's the same development as what they originally proposed with the coal-fired power station. This is just a modification. So therefore, they don't need a new development application or an environmental impact statement. The council could just sign off on it as a modification. They could just go ahead with it. Uh, council denied that. And uh, in mid-December, it was in the Land and Environment Court uh, with the company claiming that council had no right to refuse it and had to approve it. So we've got to now wait a month or two before we know what the Land and Environment Courts decide. But we expect they will refuse it, in which case the company's saying they'll do a new development application, a new EIS, and go ahead with their proposal. When you say the focus on biomass now is a scam to replace wood chipping, do you mean because the overseas market is pretty much dying out or no longer viable for wood chipping profiteering. So the industry and gov are like, so now how can we exploit forest resources in other kind of similarly unsustainable ways? <laughs> um, yeah, look, it was always known with the export wood chipping industry that eventually our native forests would be outcompeted by plantations. So around the world there were millions of hectares of eucalypt plantations established. It was always just a stop gap measure to go and clear fell our, our native our Eucalypt native forests while these plantations matured and came, came online. Well, that sort of happened to a degree now. But um, there's it's this huge, uh, never-ending market for biomass because it's regarded as carbon neutral. It's saying that if a country wants to cut back its CO2 emissions, just burn wood instead of coal. It's really frightening. Uh, Europe, in, in about 60% of their renewable energy now, comes from burning wood, but that's just not their local wood. They actually um, uh, import wood from Canada and America through these huge clear felling operations that are going on there, to ship them all the way around the world to England and, and Europe and burn them in their old coal-fired power plants and claim it as the renewable energy and get government subsidies for doing it. They, they couldn't do it without a government subsidy. So they're being paid a fortune of taxpayers' money to increase pollution under the guise of trying to reduce pollution. Now, the biggest threat we have to dealing with climate change really is this burgeoning industry of burning native forests. And Japan and Korea want to do it now in a big way. China is doing it. And if these power companies in Australia don't get up, they want to start exporting the wood chips again to uh, Asia to feed these replacements for coal in the power plants. So, look, it's a huge international issue and it's a growing threat in Australia. And uh, I know there's proposals now to do it in Tasmania. There's these proposals in New South Wales. And, look, they're trying to get a, a big 
timber industry going in the Northern Territory, so I'd be very worried about what their intent there is as well. And again, really, it comes down to public awareness and letting people know what's going on in whatever way you can. And, you know, everyone can do something and getting the, the message out there that this is not on. We don't want to see our forest burnt for electricity and to stop it now. And we have an opportunity, unlike Europe, where it's this major, huge industry and, and America, we can try to stop it developing here. And, you know, there's already some wood-fired uh, power going on, particularly in northern New South Wales. We have a couple of places that were established to burn the gas uh, left over from cane waste and now burn as much timber as the gas. And it's a growing thing. We have these companies coming in now who see a, a monetary opportunity. They can make a fortune out of this. They get it up and going and they're trying now to do so. So really it's public awareness, I think, that will stop them. And lobbying politicians, telling our politicians, particularly the more who are likely to be on side, particularly in our city electorates, I think, um, that it's just, just not on. Don't do it. Stop it now. Mm-hmm. One other issue that comes to fall, you're talking about the 2019-25s, and they had a massive impact on our forest. You know, in New South Wales, about 5 million hectares of forest got burnt. And in the more intensive, intensive burning areas, which is probably about a third of those, um, you know, most animals were cooked, really. They were just killed. And you know, I, I monitored koalas and saw so many of uh, some really important core koala habitat and with lots of koalas in them, but the koalas just disappeared in those intensely burnt areas, but they hung in other areas. And, and like we lost, in, in northeast New South Wales, we lost about a third of our rainforests in those fires. Now, that's unprecedented. You know, rainforests don't burn, or they burn very rarely, and yet a third of them burnt. And uh, it's sort of like a, a warning of what's to come. But with all that immense environmental degradation, you know, there were thousands of fish killed in streams, billions of animals killed, billions of plants killed, Thousands of old-growth, hollow-bearing trees were killed. It was a, it had major ramifications because of its massive extent. It affected so much of our forest. And so there was recognition that logging compounds those impacts. You go in and log those burnt forests, but even the unburnt patches around them, and you're compounding impacts on our wildlife. You're increasing the erosion, you're increasing stream degradation, increasing increasing the amount of sediment going into streams. And there were attempts to try to bring that in line in New South Wales. The Environment Protection Authority reached an agreement with forestry to apply what they call site-specific operation conditions, which increased things like riparian buffers, uh, required all these sorts of uh, modifications to logging and then the big fight between the Forestry Corporation and the Environment Protection Authority as to how long this could continue. And they got the Natural Resources Commission, which is um, very pro-forestry, but the government body stepped to uh, oversee the issue and reach a decision. And so they decided that in the most heavily burnt forests, there should be no logging at all for three years after the fires. So the fires were now two years ago. And so six months ago, they identified there should be no logging for three years after the fire. They gave that to the government. And they've now sat on it for over six months. So they've had this report saying you will cause irrevocable environmental degradation if you continue logging these worst affected areas. You need to stop it now for three years after the fire, which is not long enough anyway. Um, and that was six months ago and they've sat on it ever since and they're still logging in those areas. The other new rule they made was that 
indefinitely, they should increase protection for hollow-bearing trees. So these are the big old trees, you know, over 100, 200 years old that have these hollows in them that so many of our hollow-dependent animals depend upon. Uh, a lot of those got burnt out in the fire. So the only change to the logging rules that the Natural Resource Commission recommended was that they increase retention of hollow-bearing trees, and not just the hollow-bearing trees, but the, the biggest trees left, the big recruitment trees that become the hollow-bearing trees of the future. And so this was a major increase upon the current rules, which are just retain up to eight per hectare where, there's, where they survive. This was to restore eight per hectare where, where there's not eight per hectare and to retain two recruitments for each of those hollow-bearing trees so that they will be replaced in future. And they've ignored that as well. It's just mindless profiteering. It's not it's not rational. They call it economic rationalism and it's yeah. the opposite of rational. <laughs> well, in, in New South Wales, it's not even economic rationalism. They, the forestry lost $20 million last year and they're going to go on losing more millions in the, in the following years on their native forest operations. But look, there's no economic benefit there at all, but the economic values are in protecting forests, not in paying to have them continue to be degraded and logged. 100%. Yeah. God, I remember um, back in 2019 with the fires reading with absolute horror about Tarania Creek. I just, you know, just weeping. It must have been really, really horrible for um, <clears throat> activists such as yourself that were involved with Yeah, it. look, it was quite devastating. You know, um, mm-hmm. There were some huge, huge brush wow. pops there. These trees reach immense age, you know. At Trainy Creek, there was one that was carbon dated 1,400 and something years old, and that wasn't one of the biggest ones. So I was quite shocked when I went out to Trainy Creek just after the fires and saw, you know, brush box are a couple of thousand years old, burnt down, and so many of them burnt down. And, and they, would, they would burn up the centre, but then the brush box tree would collapse into further into the rainforest and start off a new fire like weeks later and the fire would just continue trickling through the rainforest. I saw so much rainforest that was just killed by the fires. That was particularly devastating and the, the surrounding Euclid forest some of it was just totally cooked. So yeah, look you, you put the effort into protecting an area and you hope it will be protected in perpetuity. Do you realise in perpetuity does not mean so much with climate change that climate change is an overwhelming threat to our future and the future of our forests. And if we don't rein that in soon, we're going to be in big trouble. And so are our forests. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, we heard from Dylan Pugh from North East Forest Alliance in northern New South Wales. And you can find their website at nefa.org.au. And if you miss part of today's show, you can find the podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we would love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. 
That's all for this week, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories. Doongro Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new T-shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.